Psalms chapter 5 and in verse 8, the Bible says, But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And tonight I want to talk about how real is your love for God? Right? How, how real is your love for God and how can Christians show a real love for God? You know, this year we're looking a lot at love and we're going to hear lots of different messages about love. Um, but you know, there's different types of love. There's, um, there's love that we um, perceive at our level and there's the love that comes down from God. Right? And that's, that's, that, that's that real love, okay? It's a different kind of love. It's a godly love. But when we look at Romans 5 verse 8, we're, we're going to see just exactly how God describes this, this type of love. And before we get into the message, we're just going to open with a word of prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day. Just another opportunity to come here, Lord, as a church family, to just gather together, to hear the preaching of your word, um, to hear your messages, Lord. And just uh, fellowship with one another, and spend time with one another, Lord God, to spend time with you, and to worship you with, with our thoughts and our, and our words and our songs, Lord God. I pray that despite our inadequacies, Lord, and despite our shortcomings and failings, that you just take whatever little we have, Lord, and just um, take it up to heaven with you, Lord God, and um, use it for your glory. God, I pray you just um, keep those who are traveling safe, and I pray you bless them, and I pray you bless the rest of the week, God. Bless this time now together in your word, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Alright, so in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, we're looking at this, this real love. Okay, now the world has lots of ideas and illustrations about what love is. You know, you can't, you can't walk into a bookstore and find a book on a shelf that will have some sort of um, teaching or idea of what it thinks love is. You won't be able to watch a movie coming from Hollywood or any other film ministry that's not trying to give a message of what they think love is and what they're showing or portraying what love to be. You know, you only need to, you only need to turn on the TV um, at any time these days. It used to probably be late at night, but now it seems that it's all over at any time of the day. But they're, they're showing what they portray to be love. You know, they show, they show um, uh, affairs between people on TV now and portray that as love. They show, they show people chasing after these riches and chasing after these highs and pleasures and they show that and portray that to be love. But you know, the Bible has a very different definition as to what love is. Okay, you know, the, what, what the world teaches and portrays what love to be is a complete opposite to what God portrays love to be. And we can see that in his, in his word. We can see that there's a difference between what the world teaches about love and what God teaches about love. So, what is this real love? What is it? You know, real love is more than just words. Okay, Real love has substance. You know, real love is when love the feeling is established or, or affirmed by love the action. Okay, you see, there's, there's, there's two sides to it, and it's, it's, it's not just words only. You know, you'll see this in a lot in films, and you'll see it in a lot of books and novels, you know, you'll always see the word love and people, people proclaiming their love for each other, but then you don't see the actions that follow up with that. You don't see the actions that back that up, or you don't see the actions that actually confirm what they were saying. You see, it's just, the words love is just words. That's what they use. They just throw the words freely around the place because there's no real value in that. There's no real value in them. They don't place any substance in them because there's no actions. They're not 
they're not proving their love. Okay, so real love is when that it is when it goes from just the emotion to an actual um, to, a, to to an actual thing that has that has action to it, that has substance. You can feel it; it's tangible. Okay, when you see the love of God, when you hear about the love of God, you can actually nearly grab it. When you read through the the words of God and in his book from chapter to chapter, every time you see the things that God has did for Israel, did for people, did for us, you can actually almost, it jumps off the page and you can almost grab it and feel it. There's a substance to that love, you see. You see, God's love has an actual action to it. Listen to how Jesus described this real love in John 15:13. Jesus said, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man laid on his life for his friends. Okay? When I was thinking of just how, you know, we see the illustrations of love throughout the world in movies, but you know, I was trying to think of, you know, what has ha- you know, what has happened in the world which kind of really goes to to show off what this what this love is. Well, you know, back in 1944, June 6th, you had the Allied forces landing on the beaches in France and Normandy, um, D-Day, and you had many a man. At that time, from all over the world, um, people from Canada, America, um, parts of Europe, Britain, and even Ireland, going over to fight in Europe to to defend um, certain things that they held dear. Um, you know, some of these people, you could say that they probably had a love for democracy. They probably had a love for freedom and the freedom to do the things that they wanted to do or that they thought was right to do. You could say that some of these people probably, you know, had a love for their lifestyle or the way they lived. And that's what they were fighting, fighting, fighting for, okay? But when you strip that all back, there was actually something more important that I think that these people were fighting for. And it was that they, were, they weren't just fighting for, for those, those, those worldly things. They weren't just fighting for the man next to them. But they were actually fighting for their friends back home. Right, those people that they held dear to themselves in life, no matter where it was, whether they came from New York, New Jersey, or, or Cork, or, or London, they probably had people living there, people that they loved, people that they cared for, brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, children, and it was them that they were fighting for. And you can see Jesus' words were reinforced right there when, you know, there's no greater love than when someone is willing to lay down their lives for their friends. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? You know, Hebrews says that Jesus was, was behooved, was happy to actually call himself a friend, to call us friends. And Jesus laid on his life for us in that same way. So you can't get any higher, you can't get any more real than that love, that love that's willing to, to give up your life for, for, for another person, for a friend. Okay? And you don't see that in any of the uh, Hollywood portrayals, you don't see that in any of the novels, you certainly don't see that in wicked things like Fifty Shades of Grey, where what they portray to be love is nothing more than fleshly, sensual. There's no, there's no one dying. There's no one dying to, to protect each other. There's no one, there's no one, there's no one going out of their way to, to do what, to what, to do what's right, to do what God wants them to do. You don't see that. They don't paint that picture. And yet that's the picture that's painted time and time again by the world. They're painting the wrong picture of love. It's not real. That's not what real love is. It's not what God told us what love is. It's not what he showed and demonstrated to us what love is. It's completely opposite. It's made up by Satan, I believe. It, Satan wants people to believe that that's what love is about. That as long as, you, as long as you're happy, as long as you um, get the pleasures you seek in life, 
as long as um, you're getting um, what you want, then I guess you know that's the feeling of love. That's love, right? That's love with with the way the world is trying to teach it. But we can see that Jesus and God has a plainly different story to tell. You know, we see that real love from the Bible, from what Jesus did on the cross, is more than just an emotional response or, or, or display. You know, real love has a physical display. You know, there's, there's no married couple that can utter the words, I love you, without actually backing it up with something that shows or proves that they love them. All right? There has to be some sort of physical, outwardly response or action that people can see. It has to be tangible. Right? Because words, you can't hold on to words, but you can hold on to whatever action that person is doing to you. You can actually feel it, you can see it, and you can actually, and you can acknowledge it and grab it. There's something tangible to it. You know, real love will always be seen by others. You know, Romans 5, 8 tells us that God commended or demonstrated or showed his love for us. You know, God clearly had an emotional love for us. You know, the feelings of love came from him in the first place. So we know he feels love, but he also showed love, didn't he? He demonstrated that love. He affirmed it and established it and proved it when he sent Jesus to die on the cross for us, for sinners. If you look at Romans 5, 8, that's what it says. It says, and while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. So it's undeniable that God was the author and the original example of what real love is. If you want to know what real love is, then we need to go to God. We need to see what he is describing it as. And that's what I want to quickly look at now tonight. It's just three very quick points um, it certainly won't be a long message tonight, but three really quick points that's going to that's gonna try and show us how can Christians show real love for God in this day and age? How can we show it? How can we prove our love for God? And there's three essential tasks that will enable, the Christ, that will enable Christians, enable us to demonstrate and show this type of real love, to show this real love towards God. Not a fake love, but a real love. So the first task is, you know, we need to observe real love. We need to observe real love. You know, it's, it's, it's the first essential task. We need to observe it. You know, if, if you want to demonstrate anything, if you want to show anything, if you want to teach others anything, you need to first observe what it is that you're trying to teach, right? You know, when I'm creating video tutorials for work, teaching people how to um, do certain things in software applications, I first need to go and observe it being done. I need to find out what are the steps. I need to see what is it that I'm actually trying to demonstrate. If I don't actually take the time to look and observe and watch these steps unfolding in front of me, then how can I ever teach someone else about it? How can I ever show someone else the same steps, right? You know, when we're talking about giving the gospel to people, you know, how do we give the gospel to people when we meet on the doors? Well, we watch. We observe someone else doing it, right? We, we read God's word and see, well, how did Jesus do it? How did the apostles do it? How did the first century Christians do it? How did the soul winner who came to my door do it? We observe, don't we? We have to watch. Right? We have to watch, we have to observe. And we need to observe what this real love is. You know, before we'll ever be able to show or demonstrate our real love for God, we need to observe and see this real love in action. And the Bible has plenty of examples of this real love. Um, I'm just going to look at three very quickly. If you want to, if you want to um, turn to Genesis 22, Genesis 22, we'll see one of these examples. Genesis 22. And in verse 1, We see the familiar story of Abraham and Isaac. And it says in verse 1, 
Genesis chapter 22. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham. And he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thine son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and claved the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went on the place which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son and he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And they came to the place which God had told them of, and Abraham built an altar there, and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do anything unto him. For now I know that thou lovest, that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. So here in this passage in Genesis chapter 22, we see that Abraham was prepared to kill Isaac. Abraham was prepared to kill his only son. God had asked him to kill his only son. His only son, which he had waited quite a while for. Okay, you know, this, you know, when you talk about an investment in your life, Isaac was an investment of Abraham's efforts. Okay, Isaac was the accumulation of years of struggle and, and toiling with the world and, and his ups and downs trying to follow God and not knowing what God wanted him to do and going down paths he wasn't sure of. Isaac was, was the fruit of Abraham's labor. And here's God telling Abraham to kill him. And you see that, that Abraham was prepared to do it. Abraham was prepared to do it. Now Abraham didn't know what was going to happen after this. All, for all he knew, you know, he said God would provide himself a lamb and he was trusting in God and he was obeying God. But I don't think Abraham knew exactly what was coming next. All he knew that God told him to bring Isaac and to put him on the altar and to sacrifice him. And that's exactly what he was doing. He was prepared to do that. He was prepared to kill his only son, whom he loved. The Bible says he loved Isaac. You know, like any parent, I'm sure Abraham would have thrown himself under a bus to protect Isaac. And here he is bringing that same cherished son of his and he's putting him on the altar to give to God. Why? Because God told him to. You know, that's an example of real love for God. Abraham clearly loved God more than he loved Isaac. And that's, 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 that's real love. That's real love. Quickly turn, jump forward into Matthew, Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1. Matthew, chapter 1. chapter 1 and in verse I'll start off there in verse 18 and it says now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together she was found with child of the Holy Ghost 
then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her, her way privately, or privately. But while he taught on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And now, now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife. Here we see Joseph, who was espoused to Mary, Joseph who was preparing to marry Mary, lining up to marry, to marry Mary, and here Joseph is, is, is being, is, is, had just found out that, his, that, his, that the love of his life is um, with child. Okay, something that I'm sure would have caught him off guard. Okay, he didn't do it. He knew he didn't do it. All right, and as far as Joseph was concerned, as far as we're all concerned, it doesn't happen on its own, typically. In fact, there's only one recorded occurrence in the world where it did happen on its own without, without, without the father being there. And, and this is it. This, this is exactly it. And, and Joseph finds himself in a position where he doesn't know what's going on. He, he's looking at Mary and he still loves this woman, clearly, because he, you know, under the law, under the Old Testament law, if, if, you're, if the spouse or, 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 or person you're going to marry went off and did something like this, you were perfectly within your rights to stone her, right? I'm sure there's a lot of men that would, have, that would have been in Joseph's position that time would have been picking up the stones and ready to, to fling it, okay? We saw that with Jesus with the, with the woman, right? And the woman, because she was playing the harlot or, or, or whatnot, um, they, were, they were about to stone her, weren't they? And Jesus said, you know, off with you. You know, it, it isn't the law, it's right, but, you know, let, let him who is without sin cast the first stone, right? So it was, it, it was within Joseph's legal rights to take Mary and to stone her. But he clearly loved her because he's, look, I'm not going to make an example of her. I'm not going to humiliate her. I'm not going to, I don't want to actually hurt her, but at this time I just don't know if I can go through with this. So he was prepared to put her away. And when the angel came to Joseph in this difficult time, in this difficult situation, he told Joseph, you know, that, that it wasn't Mary that went off and did something, and, and that the child was from God and was conceived of the Holy Spirit. And then when Joseph woke, he just went off and, went forward and do what, do what God wanted him to do, to, to take Mary unto himself, to, to still go ahead and marry her, even though it was probably going to take another at least nine months now, right? You know, he could have been, I'm sure he was planning to marry Mary imminently. It could have been a month, two, it could have been a few weeks when he, when he was getting ready to do this. And obviously now, because of this pregnancy, it is pushing it out at least nine months, right? Okay, so Joseph, you know, as a man, I'm sure he would have been standing there kind of going, what do I do? How do I get through this? What am I supposed to do? And if he was like most normal men, he probably would have stoned her. And without, knowing, without being able to see the future, without being able to understand what's going on, I don't know if he would have been able to really follow the instructions that God was giving him unless he truly loved God. He had to truly love God more than, than Mary if he was willing to take everything that God was telling him in a dream and take it as gospel. This is... This, you can trust me, Joseph. Mary didn't do this. Mary did not go off with someone else. This child is from me, and he is a 
he'll be a prophet and he'll be a savior of the world. Joseph obviously had to have a real love for God to go through with the situation, to follow God and do exactly what God was telling him. You know, he had to he had to have this real real love for Mary to to, to not to not kill Mary, to not um, exact revenge on Mary, and then to raise Jesus as his own. All right, you mean like there's 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 been plenty of people in this world that have had to um, from for one circumstance or another they found themselves in a position where they were they were coming into a family where they had to to raise someone as a child and raise them as their own, raise them with that same kind of love that they'd have for themselves. Okay, and this is what this is this is this is what Joseph was doing here. He had to he had to find it within himself to do this, and I believe the reason he was able to do it was because of his love for God. He clearly had a big foundational love for God that no matter what was happening in front of him and, and despite the fact he didn't know what was going on or couldn't understand everything, he was still able to push forward and, and do exactly what God was telling him to do. The third example where we see this real love for God in the Bible is actually in Luke chapter 7. So if you turn to Luke chapter 7, Gospel of Luke chapter 7, which starts off in verse 36. Luke 7, verse 36. The Bible says, And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, which she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the anointment. Now when the Pharisee, which had which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is, that touched him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he said, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors, the one owed five hundred pence and the other fifty. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me therefore which of them will love him most. Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house, thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she had washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss. But this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst, thou didst not anoint, but this woman had anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loveth much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And we see here, um, you know, this, 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 this woman, um, she obviously had a reputation in the area. You know, this Pharisee obviously knew her and looked down upon her. Uh, we don't know um, what she did. Um, you know, but in, in the Pharisees' eyes, she's a sinner, so it must have been something, something against the law, right? It must have been against the, the, the law of Moses in some way, shape, or form. And here's this lady, and she comes and washes Jesus' feet. It says that she broke this alabaster box, this, this, this expensive box with expensive ointment. It probably was, was all that she had. 
And you know, John was singing that song this morning, you know, what love, and it was about this, about this passage, this passage of scripture. And we see that here's this, here's this sinner, here's this, 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 this woman, and she, she, she goes to Jesus, and she, she's willing to break this expensive perfume, um, ointment that she has, so that she could put it on Jesus' feet. You know, she, she washed his feet with her tears and dried it with her, with her hair. Now, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sure that if needs be, I could wash Gina's feet, okay? And I'd wash my kids' feet. But washing other people's feet, um, I, it doesn't really appeal to me. Um, and, 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 and let's put this into perspective. In today's, today's age, people have clean socks and clean shoes and they shower every day and they wash and there's cosmetics you know people people's feet are probably generally clean these days okay compared to what was back then okay you have to picture jesus probably had one pair of sandals jesus walked everywhere okay in the heat the heat of israel midday sun 40 degrees plus um humid sweaty Walking up and down rough terrain, rough road. There was no nice footpaths. He didn't have nice, nice padded shoes like night runners. His feet would have been cut, blistering, probably pus coming out of them. You know, when she was cleaning his feet with her hair, you know, it, it wasn't a nice thing. But yet here she is, still willing to do that with, with the most expensive thing she probably owned. Doesn't that show her real love for God? You know, that real love for Jesus that, you know, she was willing to get down on her knees to make herself low, to humble herself and do that. You know, can there, can there be anything more humbling than getting down and washing someone's dirty, scarred, bloody, pus-filled feet? I don't think so. But here we see this lady who was willing to do it. And she was happy to do it. She obviously had this, 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 this real type of love. It wasn't... You know, it wasn't this, this surface level love. You know, there was lots of people in the room that probably said they loved Jesus, but yet here she is showing that she loved Jesus. Okay, she got down and she did what no one else in the room wanted to do. She washed the dirty feet of the person that she viewed as her saviour, the person that she viewed as the one who forgave her of her sins. And you know, who can argue that these people did not clearly show a real love for God? So we can see just from God's word alone there's, there's examples of this type of real love. If we want to see and observe this real love in action, well, the best place to go is right into God's Word. And we can see it from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation. It's filled with examples of this real type of godly love and people expressing and, 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 and portraying this love that they have towards God. The second essential task that, that, that we as Christians need to do um, so that we can demonstrate and show this real love for God for ourselves in our lives, is that we need to understand real love. Okay, We need to understand what this is. We need to understand what real love is. You know, we, we, we looked at Abraham and, and his, his trial of, of being asked to kill Isaac. You know, why was it that Abraham was prepared to do this, to kill his, kill his only son? Why was he prepared to do this? You know, why was Joseph... Why was he prepared to obey the angel, you know, um, to marry Mary and to raise um, the baby Jesus as his own? Why was he willing to do this? You know, why was, why was this lady prepared to give all that she had just to wash the feet of Jesus? And, um, you know, you know if, 
what, what, it must have been something powerful. This, this real love must be different in order for these people to do these things. You know, and, and it's because they knew that it was not enough to say that they loved God. Right? I'm sure um, Abraham was around many people within his camp that probably proclaimed to love God. Um, he probably knew many people in his lifetime, like Lot, um, who said they loved God, um, but yet their actions didn't back that up. Right? You know, Lot went off and did his own thing. Abraham tried to stay with God, tried to do what God wanted him to do. Um, they had to. They, they knew that it just wasn't enough to use words to utter words to God to say that I love you God they had to back it up with actions right they had to prove it they had to show it okay and when Abraham was asked to kill Isaac that's what God wanted God wanted to see do you love me are you willing to prove it to me all right you know God was willing to prove it to Abraham you know God had a plan to provide that lamb didn't he and not just the lamb right there for Abraham he had a plan to provide the lamb for us you see, God was already prepared to show that love. He was just looking for Abraham. Were you willing to do the same? Was it real? Was it real? And they knew that in order for their love to be real, it couldn't just be words. There had to be some substance, some physical, outwardly action to it. Right? You know, Deuteronomy 6.5 says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and all thine soul and with all thy might. And Jesus goes on to repeat that in the, several times in the New Testament. In Mark 12.30, he says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thine soul, and with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. You see, there has to be some sort of substance to this type of love in order for it to be real. Okay, We can't just utter words to God. We have to prove it. We have to back it up with actions. You know, if, if, if we, can say, we can say that we love God in our mind, and we can love God in our heart, but if we ain't forcing our body, our flesh, to go work that love out, right? Right? We need to... We need to force our body to go do these things so that we can show that we do love God. Right? We can, we can easily sit down in the chair at home and say, we love God in our mind or we love God in our heart or our soul. But if we're not doing exactly what Jesus said and using all our strength and all our might, that's talking about the flesh, right? And all our, all our soul and our mind together, our whole person, to go show and demonstrate that love toward him. Right? That's what God is, is commanding us. He's commanding us to not just to say you love me, to actually go do, show me you love me. Prove it. All right? You know, there has to be something tangible. You know, real love does not have any expectations or expectations of recompense or compensation. You know, Abraham was not expecting God to give him another son when God asked him to kill Isaac. Right? Abraham was not expecting that to happen at all. Oh, sure, God will give me another one. It's fine. You know? And that's why it was so hard for Abraham because for all he knew, this was, this was it. It took him long enough to get Isaac in the first place. How long more did Abraham have? Could he wait that same amount of time again to get another one? You know, if, if, if Sarah was too old to have one originally with Isaac, then surely she was too old to have one now. Okay, it was, this wasn't going to happen. So Abraham was not expecting God to give him another son, but yet he was prepared to kill him anyway. Joseph wasn't expecting for God to give himself and Mary more children after Jesus came. He didn't know that there was going to be more children on the scene. For all he knew that Jesus could have been it. And as I said, he was prepared to raise Jesus at his own, but it still wasn't his own. Right? And I'm sure Joseph, like any you know, person, um, would have longed for that. Would have longed for that child of his own. Someone to call my seed, my flesh. Right? That was the promise that God gave to Abraham, didn't, didn't he? You know, your seed, Abraham. You know, and Isaac was his seed, 
Joseph didn't know if he was going to have any more children after that, but yet he still went off and did exactly what God told him to do. And it was the same with this lady. This, this, this lady was not expecting Jesus to replace her alabaster box. All right? She broke it knowing that it would be gone. You know, I'm sure she could have used that for herself. Um, I'm sure she could have used it for many purposes. Um, but yet she went away and broke it anyway. She wasn't expecting it to be replaced or returned. Um, she wasn't expecting Jesus to go off and give her money for using the alabaster box ointment. Um, she did it because she loved him, right? And, and she had no expectations of getting something back. And you see, that's what that real love is. It's when you do something regardless of whether you're going to get anything return or not. Okay? It's when you do something regardless of whether you want to or not. You know, I'm sure Abraham didn't want to kill Isaac, but he went and was ready to do it anyway. Um, you know, and it's, it's, you know, this real love is when you do something regardless of the cost. You know, that alabaster box would have cost money. Losing Isaac would have been a big cost to Abraham. And, you know, for Joseph and Mary, you know, if, if, if Joseph didn't have the trust and faith in, 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 in that dream, that appearance by the angel, if he didn't have trust in God, you know, and if God was wrong, then Joseph would have faced that possibility of, well, you know, I've been made a fool of. You know, Mary did go in and do this behind my back. You know, he, he, he had a lot to lose. There was a cost there for Joseph. Well, he didn't know what was going to happen in the future. So you can see that there's this real love. It's when, it's when we're not looking for anything in return. It's when we're, it's when we're doing things and prepared to do things, whether we want to do them or not. And it's, it's whether we do them regardless of the cost that it might have on us. You know, Jesus said, if any man want to follow me, you know, he needs to be prepared to, to leave all that, that, that you have. You know, you need to, you need to be willing to sacrifice and, and, and throw away your old life. You need to be willing to sacrifice to throw away your, 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 your old way of thinking. You need to be willing to put away your, even your immediate family if it's getting in the way of doing what God wants you to do. You know, that's what God's looking for. That God's looking for that real love that regardless of what the cost or what it's, or whether we're getting something over or not, that we do it anyway because God wants us to do it. And the third, the third essential task that we need to do is we need to repeat these examples of real love in our lives. You know, for any demonstration, for any process, you know, when, when Isaac, you know, um, when, when scientists are proving a theory, you know, before it becomes a law, um, there's, there's certain things they have to do and it needs to be observed they need to understand what they observed, and then they need to repeat it, right? If they can't repeat it, then it's not a law, okay? It's not something that's actually tangible. It's not real, all right? It's just a theory in their head, right? That's why Darwin's theory of evolution isn't real, because he didn't observe it. He, he definitely didn't understand it at the time when he was writing his book. He didn't, have a, he didn't have a microscope to see how complicated the cell is, all right? And he certainly couldn't repeat it. How can you repeat that? How can you, how can you do that, right? So how could you possibly prove that that's a law, right? You see, for any process or, any, or anything you're trying to demonstrate, you have to observe it, understand it, and repeat it. Okay? If, you, if you don't observe it, you're not going to know what, what you need to do. If you don't understand it, you're not going to know why it's being done or how to do it. And then if you don't repeat it, then what's the point of the first two, right? What's the point in observing something and understanding something if you're not going to repeat it? Okay, and this, this third essential task of repeating these examples of real love in our own lives, you know, this is it's the hard part. You know, un- observing and understanding real love is the easy part. Okay, it's the repeating of this love in our lives which is the hard part. 
you know, it's easy to, it's, it's easier to, um, to learn, to, to observe, to watch, to read in God's, God's book. Um, and it is pretty easy to read God's book. I don't know why many Christians don't read God's book enough, because it's not that complicated. Um, you just open it up, it's in plain English, and just take some time to go through it. And then anything you don't understand, read it again, and read it again, and read it again, and eventually God will give you the answer. It's, it's not that complicated. But putting God's word into practice in our life, now that's a much more difficult task. And it's the same thing with this, with demonstrating this real love, with, with repeating these examples. You know, how do we do this? You know, how do we put that real love for God into practice in our own lives? It's a completely different challenge. And you know, this, the, the repetition of this kind of love, you know, to repeat this real love in our own lives is what separates the wheat from the tares. Okay, it's what, it's what separates the counterfeit Christians, the fake Christians, Christians so-called, guys who like to call themselves Christians, from the people who actually are Christians, isn't it? Right, you know, look at what Jesus said in John 14:15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Right, this is Jesus' own words. He's saying, if you love me, if you want to show me that you love me, then do what I told you. Keep my commandments. Right, and yet there's many so-called Christians attending churches all over the world who, I'm sure they've read it, I'm sure they've heard it, I'm sure it's been preached at them, but they're not keeping them. Right? They're not loving God with all their heart, with all their mind and all their soul and all their strength. They're not doing that. They're not um, separating themselves from the world and, 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 and doing what God wants them to do. They're not, um, uh, they're, they're not spending time in his word. They're not loving his word like we're supposed to. They're not loving fellow Christians like we're supposed to. Right? I know it can be hard to love everyone, but you know, if, if there's anyone in the world that we should be able to love, it's the brethren. Right? It doesn't mean you're going to get on with everyone all the time. There's always going to be Friction sometimes, but that's okay. That's, that, that happens in families, right? You know what I mean. But you still have to, you still have to be willing to want to love that person, whether they and make it easy or not. Well, that remains to be seen. But you still have to want to do that. Christians should have a desire to love the brethren. We're commanded, to, we're commanded to do it, and yet people don't do it. There's more fighting that takes place amongst Christian churches than there is in the world, right? If you go on to Facebook or social media, you can find all these. Christian groups and Bible study groups and all these things. And then, you know, every now and again you might get a, a good discussion in there, but mostly what you get in there is fighting. Fighting amongst Christians and debating amongst Christians over what this verse means, what that verse means, what's the real Bible, what's the not, what, what, you know, what's a fake Bible. And they spend all their time and effort fighting amongst each other. These are the people that are supposed to love, right? If they spent more time loving the Christians and less time fighting the Christians, they might actually have more to do with, you know, Going out giving the gospel to people, right? Where's, where's, that, where's, where's, the, where's that love they're supposed to have? They're not keeping those commandments. You know, the Bible says, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. You know, how much, how much time, you know, do people not come to church or, or con- continuously avoid going, going to where God is, avoid hanging around with people um, that are in church? You know, whenever, whenever they're invited to something, it's like, no, no, I don't want to go there. I don't want to see that person. Okay, you know, this happens. This is the truth. This is the reality amongst Christians. Right? I'm sure in the first century church, they couldn't wait till they seen these Christian brothers again. They might have traveled miles and miles just to see someone else that believed what they believed. Alright? You know, they would have traveled in dangerous territories. You know, they would have, they would have traveled at night time to, to avoid the Romans. They would have met in secret all so that they could share that real love for God together. 
so that they could keep the commandments that Jesus had given them. And you see, if we love him, we should be keeping, we should be keeping his commandments, shouldn't we? You know, we should be doing what we've seen to be true in the Bible. You know, we've observed, and we can observe, plenty of examples of real love in the Bible. God has told us that he wants us to love him, that we should love him. He's shown us how to love him. All we need to do is actually go do it, right? You know, we need to repeat what these people did. We're going to be in different situations, in different circumstances. You know, God might not ask you to kill your only child. Okay, God might not present you with a situation with your wife to be uh, miraculously comes up with a baby. All right, you mean I don't think it'll be a miraculous like the birth of Jesus anyway. God might not um, put you in a position where you're, you know, down down in the gutter of life and whatever you have to your name, you have to, you know, you, you have to give that, you know, away to other people. Um, who knows what God has in store for us? But are we willing to do what these people did? You know, regardless of what that trial is, or or regardless of whatever is asked of us, are we willing to do what we don't want to do? Are we willing to do something even though it's going to cost us? Are we willing to do something even though we're not going to get anyone in return from it? Because that's what these three people did. That's that, that's what they had in common. They were different people from different generations, different times in history, and yet they all had that same thing in common that they had a real love for God. And they demonstrated and they showed it with their actions. So how real is our love for God? How real is your love for God? You know, when, when other people look at you and look at us, when they speak with us, when they spend time with us, do they really know that we love God? Can they see it? Have we given them anything to actually witness and to see that we love God? Are we obeying God like these three people did? We trust in God like these people did. Right? You know, whatever situations we're going through in our lives, whatever circumstances or trials we find ourselves in, we need to ask ourselves, are we obeying and trusting God like these three people did? Right? Because if we can obey and trust God just like Abraham did, and just like Joseph did, and just like this lady did, if we can do that, you know, then we'll have that real love for God. We'll be able to show it and demonstrate it, just like God said in Romans 5.8, just like what he did. When he came to the cross, he demonstrated, he showed, he proved his love for us. He has already given, he already gave the scriptures, he gave the word, right? He gave, he already told us that he did love us. But when he went to the cross, he showed that he loved us, didn't he? He demonstrated that real love for us. If Christ had never went to the cross, if Christ did not follow the will of God, if he didn't follow the will of his Father, if he wasn't prepared to give up all that he had, if he wasn't prepared to do something that he wasn't going to in return for, and if he wasn't prepared to do something that was going to cost him dearly, if he wasn't prepared to do any of those things, and he didn't go to the cross, then God's love would never have been real, would it? Because it would have just been words. Like Buddha's words, Allah's words, um, the Mormon book's words, and all these other books. Um, Scientology's words, they're just words. They, they might say they love people, but they're not showing it. They're not, they're not, they're not demonstrating it. They're not proving it. And that's, that's what we need to do as Christians. We need to be prepared to show and demonstrate that real love as well. Not just a, not just a, a love in words, but a love in deed. We need to put, we need to put, our, we need to put some action to our words, right? We need to put our, we, we need to, we need to walk the walk, not just talk the talk. Alright, so. Closing the word of prayer.